0: I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible with me to Philippians chapter 2. As we continue to look this morning at the uh, book of Philippians, we've been studying verse by verse through the book of Philippians, letting God's word really study through us, speak through our hearts, speak through our lives. Um, I'd like to have you join me in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 19, and we'll look there in just a moment. Mark Twain once wrote, "Few examples, A few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. And what he was saying, as he said, a few things are harder to put up with in the annoyance of a good example. What he was identifying was the most annoying thing about a good example is its inability to accomplish its own achievements in our lives. That admiration for a great person can certainly inspire us, but it cannot enable us. That we can see an individual, um, who attains to a certain level, but their abilities, their talents can never enter into our lives. And so that's what he identifies. There's just the annoyance of a good example is that it's inability to carry it out in our own lives. And I think one of the, the better examples for me personally to think about that is when it comes to basketball. I've shared uh, many times before of my uh, just personal love for basketball, I grew up loving basketball, Um, pretty much eat, sleep, drink, uh, anything we could do basketball. I would play, started playing just the last year or so of elementary uh, school, played all through middle school, all through high school. And what we would do as a team and as friends, as individuals, we would play in a summer league, would be a part of a summer camp, and then we'd play in a summer league. And then when the summer league would end, we'd find a fall league, and then we'd have open gyms after school, and we'd be at the open gym as late as we could, then we'd have tryouts, then we'd have the season. And when the season was over, then we'd move into a winter league, and then a spring league, and then we're right back into the summer, and you'd kind of, kind of restart the cycle again and again. In the midst of that, I, many of you know I was born and raised in Alaska, and if you've ever been to Alaska, when it comes to the summer months, that you really have uh, almost nonstop daylight. And you have daylight until it can be as bright as it is outside right now, and it can be 10, 30, 11 at night. And So we had a basketball hoop out in, uh, in my front drive, and I had our buddies would come over in the summer months and we'd just start playing basketball. We really wouldn't care about the time, we'd just start playing. And we would play until, really, I couldn't even tell you what time we'd keep, would play till. The only way I knew that it was time to stop was our neighbor would stick his head out and tell me, if you don't go inside with the basketball, I'm calling the police. He says, because I have to get up for work in the morning. And so we just, we lived basketball constantly, Anytime basketball was on, I would love to watch basketball. Uh, growing up in Alaska, because of the time change here, if you're, if you're a sports fan, you'll know that uh, the first afternoon game on Sundays, and this goes for football as well, it starts around 1 o'clock, and then the second round of games starts around 4 o'clock. Um, they've modified the schedule a little bit, but about like that, for me growing up in Alaska, because of the time change, the first game started at 9 a.m., which was about when we had to, we had to leave for church at 9.15 for Sunday school. So I'd get to see the tip-off, then would have to leave, and then I would come home in time. The second game started at 12, 12.15, 12, so really there was, when I'm at church, my mind was consumed with what's happening with basketball, what's happening with the playoffs, what's happening in the finals, all those things, just, you know, just having my mind filled and focused with basketball. And one of the things that, uh, my, for me, my favorite player, and I really believe is the greatest basketball player of all time, was Michael Jordan. And so I would watch Michael Jordan, my friends and I, we would watch Michael Jordan play, do anything that we could to just be able to watch him and and those things. And then many times we would, after you're done watching someone do something great, Michael Jordan would just inspire you. We'd we'd wanna go out and play basketball. We'd wanna go out and shoot basketball. We'd wanna do whatever we could. And of course, somewhere in there, you're trying to do some of the moves you saw. You're trying to just play it the way way you saw Michael Jordan playing and kind of taking over the game. And of course, Michael Jordan played on a different level than not just us, but on the re- a different level than the rest of the planet. And so there really was like this massive gap. It was like there was Michael Jordan, then there were the professionals and everybody else who played, and then there was us. It was like this massive gap, and there was this inability, to, of course, to do anything at that level, but you always aspired to be at it. But then along came, during my, I remember in my, my high school years, along came a player, I didn't like him at all, but he really begin to fill that gap in a way that um, to help begin to understand just a little bit. And the player's name was John Stark. Has anybody ever heard of the name John Stark? Familiar with basketball? We have a few basketball fans who are familiar with that. John Stark was really a no-name basketball player, uh, was not drafted in the NBA. One of the great entry points, the ways players stay in the the league, if you're familiar with basketball, you may not care, um, but they're drafted. They're drafted in the league. And then sometimes a player will be will have the opportunity who was not drafted to try out. And if he does well in his tryout, then he'll get, he'll be able to sign a contract. Well, John Stark was just your average Joe, played college basketball, was not drafted, did not play professional basketball, had a couple of in and out chances in the league, never made anything of them. And he really, at one point, he was bagging groceries in a local supermarket and he was given the opportunity to try out for the New York Knicks. And so he went to the tryouts, and really, I think most people didn't expect anything of it, and this is all the backstory you find out afterwards. But during the tryout, the team had no intentions of keeping, and he didn't know this at the time, and the, the Knicks were one of the top teams. They were one of the big rivals of the Bulls for a few years uh, getting into the, the finals, and Michael Jordan and against the finals. But he tried out for the Knicks, and the Knicks already had a pretty loaded roster, and so he tried out. And in one of the final plays of the tryouts, he decided to go and try to dunk on Patrick Ewing. If you know basketball, Patrick Ewing was the key center, uh, all-star, Hall of Famer type thing. So he tried to dunk on this guy. The guy pushed him down. He fell and got injured. And according to the NBA rules, when a player is injured in practice or injured performing for the team, they cannot be released until they're restored to full health. So even though he was injured, because of his injury, the team couldn't release him, even though it was just a tryout, so they were forced to sign him to a contract. So in the time of his his recovery, he ended up uh, having another chance to play and ultimately got a chance into a game. And all of a sudden, he was able to, for a short season during the playoffs, was able to really match Jordan for many plays uh, defensively and to match Jordan's fierceness in a way that, that had not been matched. And so John Stark became this average no-name guy that no one had heard about to all of a sudden center stage front of the, a TV that everyone heard about. Again, I didn't like him, but, at the, but what he did was he kind of bridged the gap between this person person who played basketball on a, at a level of a different planet to the average Joe. And it just gave you something to think about and to fill that gap and to bridge that gap. Well, when you think about what we've been looking at in the uh, book of Philippians, one of the things that we've continued to look at and be reminded of is the example that Christ gives us. The example that Christ lays out for us and then as, after the example Christ gives us, we're then to take and, and to pattern our lives after the example of Christ. Before we look at the passage we're going to look at, I'd like for you to look at Philippians 2, verse 5. This is a passage we looked at in the past. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. One of the things we talked about is that we're, we're to live with the same mindset as Christ Jesus towards one another. It's not just have the same thought towards one another, but having a mindset, the frame of mind, uh, the, the the focus of your lifestyle. The, the focus is to model our lives after following Christ. And we would, you could look at that and we, we see that. And what we're really reminded of is that Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the measure that our lives are to live up to. And when we look at that, I I think sometimes we can see the gap that I felt as a basketball player thinking about Michael Jordan, when we think about the level and the example that Jesus gives us. We know the, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit empowers our lives. We looked at that last week. The Holy Spirit energizes our lives, gives us the power to live for Christ and to live out his desires within us. But still at times, I think just in our human nature, in our natural tendencies, we can feel like the gap between the way we're supposed to live, the mindset of Jesus, and the life we see ourselves living, that there can be such a massive gap and something that we can never quite live up to as much as we may try or as much as we recognize the Holy Spirit is to help us. And so what the Apostle Paul sets out sets out to do and he does for you and me, is, is in the verses we're about to look at, he gives us two individuals that are two very real, everyday examples that you can I look can look at. They're kind of like the John Stark of basketball. They fill the gap. They help us to see what Christ has modeled for us and how we can flesh it out on just a daily life and our daily lifestyle. And so looking at these two, and I just, I'll read the passage to you, 19 through 30, but then I just want to look and share with you a number of things of, of what the model Mindset of Christ looks like when we flesh it out towards others. But look with me, uh, beginning in verse number 19. It says, "'I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ.' For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill." And Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you may see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. When I see that, where, just to pause there for a moment, where Paul says, he says that I may have less anxiety, I think it helps us realize, we've talked about the struggle with anxiety, the struggle with fear, uh, and how God looks to free our lives from that. But to see that with Paul, it, it helps us see just the struggle he has, but yet his willingness to trust God in it. And it's just a reminder for us, kind of a side note, maybe a sermon within the sermon of just recognizing God's ability and his willingness to navigate and help our lives, our lives walk through that, even as we see with Paul talking about the anxiety he has, the worry he has for others. But verse 29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me so the first thing i would just show you on this uh a few things that stand out to me about these two individuals the first thing that i think we can look at and we can understand and recognize and what the what a the mindset of christ looks like as it's lived out in our lives is that they believe the first one would be a genuine concern for others a genuine concern for others you can see this with Timothy in uh, verses 20 and 21, where Paul says, I have no one else like him. He shows genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And then he says, but Timothy looks out for the interests of others. And it really is just a genuine care and concern for others. I think it's, it, it strikes me that Paul says regarding Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him. And the key thing that he says that makes him that he has no one else like him is that he has a genuine concern for others and puts others before himself. Now, many times when I read through the Bible, and I'm sure many others here, there's different places we'll read, we'll come to a list of names. Many times at the end of some of Paul's writings, there's a list of names, all these people that he wants us to thank, that he wants to thank, that he wants to acknowledge, that he wants to recognize. I think one place is in Romans. Um, Romans chapter 16, if you, if you have your Bible, you can certainly turn there. These won't be on the screen, but if you look in Romans chapter 16, there's a list of names. And, and, and in the final one, he's just, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They risked their life for me. Uh, and he goes on, greet all these different people. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. He says, greet Apelles, who was tested and approved. And just this list of all these individuals that he points to, and he says, these people have invested in my life these people have made a difference in my life. They've made a difference in ministry. Just this this list of people that matter. In fact, if you look through Romans chapter 16 and all of the, the names that are listed there, there's a total of 26 different people that Paul acknowledges and says that he is thankful for, that he sends a greeting to. But yet it's interesting that he lists off 26 people in Romans 16 saying, these people mean enough for me to write their names down and to say I acknowledge them. But yet when he comes to Timothy, he says, I have no one like him. He says, I have no one else like him. And that list of names in Romans 26 isn't the only list in Scripture of names that Paul acknowledges, but he says, I have no one like him. And I think the thing that would separate... Timothy from the others around him, the others in, Timothy, in Paul's life, the, the people in Romans 16 that, that Paul is acknowledging and thanking. I think the thing that really seems to separate him from others is his willingness to genuinely care for others. And he cares for others enough to do something. That his care for, for others moves him to action. That's what that Paul is commending in Philippians chapter 2, that Timothy's care has moved him. To action. There's something we talked about when it came to Timothy uh, last week regarding uh, just living your life in a way that impacts others that I want to re-highlight for you in case you weren't with us. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Could you put that on the screen one more time? This is Paul instructing Timothy. So Timothy in this passage is now a young pastor at a church in, in another area and Paul is giving him some instruction. So in verse Timothy 4 12 he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and impurity, But it's that phrase, set an example for believers. And one of the things that we talked about last week, if you were with us, you'll remember, is that the word that Paul uses for set an example is the word that would often be used with someone who was working with leather, was a, a tanner, but they were taking leather and crafting it into something, and they would take a tool, they would take a piece of metal, and they would mar, or they would could engrave something into it. In other words, they would mark a permanent impression into the leather so that whatever they were making, whether it was a bag or a saddle or something, they were, they were putting a permanent impression, whether it be uh, a signature, whether it be initials, whether it be what, a, a symbol, but it was permanently pressed into the leather. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, to live your life, he's telling Timothy, live your life in such a way in how you live and how you speak and how you act and how you interact with others in the purity in which you live. Live in such a way that you press a permanent imprint into the lives of others. And so he's, he tells Timothy this, and I believe that we see this being worked out in Philippians 2. It says, Paul, he, Paul commends Timothy for living his life in such a way, for genuinely caring for others in such a way that he's leaving a permanent impression in their lives. So it's one thing to have a care for others that is a thought in our life. It's another thing to have a care for others that moves us to action. It's one thing to drive down the road and to see someone broken down on the side of the road or someone in need of help and to have a thought of helping them or a thought of care for them. It's another thing to stop and to care for them. Those are two radically different things. And that's what Paul is talking about is living our life with a genuine care for others and our lives are an investment into the lives of others. And I I would encourage you to look in your life And look at the level of care that you demonstrate for others around you, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, uh, in any setting that you find yourself in to examine your life. And are you leaving a lasting impression upon their life of a genuine care for others? I think maybe we're all leaving a lasting impression. Maybe the better question is, what is the lasting impression that we're leaving? Uh, Maybe one thing to consider would be, do people cry or celebrate at your absence I mean, that. I think that would speak volumes as to the type of impression or the level of care that we're offering if people cry or celebrate or even notice your absence. One of the things that I will um, think of from time to time when it comes to our church family, we, you know, we have just a large, we're just blessed with a large piece of property, a large facility. Uh, We have, I've shared with you before that on the fields out back, we have some community soccer programs coming in, just excited about the different touches and things we have in the community. But some of the things that I'll, sometimes I'll just pause and I'll think, and I've I've, um, put this question to my staff before, but I've just said, if we cease to exist tomorrow, like if, if 2201 University Drive extension, if our facility, if, if we cease to exist tomorrow, and I'm, I'm not just meaning the whole congregation people quit coming, I'm meaning the building, if, if overnight the building was completely gone, all of the facilities were completely gone, and we were just a, back to a field of trees just overnight, if you could reset the ground to before we were ever here, the sign was gone, everything. If we cease to exist overnight by way of everything that we are, would people miss us in our community? That's an evaluator to what level of care are we investing into the community that we live in? Would people drive by and notice the empty field where the church used to be and say, well, I never noticed this empty field before. Or, wow, that stands out to me. I don't know why I never noticed this empty place before. Didn't something used to be here? Hmm, or, Or would they even notice? Or would others be... What happened to State College Assembly? They, they conducted life, they conducted ministry, They're, everything about them, everything that I ran, every person that I ran into, everyone that I interacted with, that they demonstrated such a genuine care for me, for my family, for our community. They were such an investment. Where did they go? What, what would the response be? If we cease to exist tomorrow, What would we be missed? Would people uh, recognize that? And and I think that same question, not only from ministry, is also something that we can take and apply to life, that if you cease to exist tomorrow, would people recognize your absence? Would they miss the investment of your life into theirs? In Proverbs 26, Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. In other words, many people can express something, but there's far less who take what they express and then live it out. And that's why you have, statistically, you'll have a higher number of people will come to Christ than those who actually consistently live it out to walk the road of discipleship. But I think that we can take that and we can apply, apply that all across a number of pieces in our lives but I think simply putting on on this is that many many individuals can express a genuine love and the care for others, but someone who faithfully lives it out who can find. In other words, there are far fewer individuals who take that expression or the heart desire a care for others and genuinely live it out. And so I think that's one key example to look at and to recognize a, the mindset of Christ being lived out in our lives is that we genuinely care for others. Secondly, I think a second uh, example, and it kind of maybe falls a little, little close, and you'll see some of these really wind together and connect together. But secondly, is, is a, a willingness to be second. A willingness to be second, or third, or fourth, or fifth. And maybe the better way to say it is a willingness to not be first. If you look in, in verse 19, Paul is commending Timothy, and he's, he's he says he's sending Timothy to, him, to the believers soon so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. In other words, he's sending Timothy, I hate to use the phrase, but he's sending Timothy almost as an errand boy. He's sending Timothy as a messenger. Timothy, who becomes a pastor, who becomes a leader, who becomes a significant individual, so significant that two two chapters, or rather two books in the New Testament are named after him because they were written to him because of the investment of the life that he lived in others. But yet here, Paul says, Timothy, go do this. And Timothy willingly does it. It's a willingness to be second. A willingness not to have to receive recognition, not a willingness uh, to, a desire to be first, a willingness or a desire to be uh, celebrated, but just a willingness to do what needs to be done without being seen. That's Timothy. Timothy. Timothy, many times you'll see throughout Scripture, he is right beside Paul. He's ministering with Paul, and he's working under Paul, and he never has a problem deferring credit or deferring acknowledgement to Paul and to what Paul has done. And he really looked at Paul as being a father figure in his life, but there really was no need to be first, that it was a lifestyle of of, uh, just being second or less than that. It wasn't just a, a momentary opportunity, but rather it was a lifestyle of not being first. I think for you and I, that's one of those things that can hit home rather quickly. Um, A a quick assessment is look over your life. Look over this morning, look over this past week. How many times were you irritated if you had to wait on somebody? How many times were you frustrated when uh, you had to let someone else go when it was really your turn? How many times did you try to be first in line, or did you expect to receive first at the table, or any number of things? But examine your life, and I think that's where it hit home. I, I find that it's very tempting human nature, in all of us, that it, the temptation is to want to be first, or to not always want to be second. Maybe that's a better way to say it. We can all be second sometimes, but it's a lifestyle of being second or less, not always having to be first, not just a momentary opportunity of letting someone else go, but a willingness to always put others first. And it's a choice to, to not lived with, live with ourselves in the first chair. And the reason we do it is not to be polite, it's to better align ourselves with Jesus. I, I see it manifested all throughout. I have a Uh, a typical, pretty typical routine on Wednesday or Thursday evenings as I'm headed home from the office. My, my wife and I, we share a kind of a digital shopping list on our phones. And so she can add stuff. I can add stuff. And it's just far more convenient if on the way home, I'll loop in and I'll grab what we need to grab and I'll bring it home. And then we have lots of hands to help us unload it. And, uh, many times I'll go to the store and, and I'll just watch it, as there's a lot of people there after the, the workday, they're grabbing their groceries, they're grabbing their stuff, they're trying to just get their stuff and get home. And, and I see different shopping carts full, people moving and going and things. And when you're there and you're kind of, the first thing you do is you, you get up there with your cart and you're scanning, where's the shortest line? Where do I have to wait the least amount? And as you're there, then then you see a light turn on, and it's a whole new register that's opened. And, and then all of a sudden, there's this race to be first, right? There's this race to be, get there, get in line first, and be served first, and get done and be on with your incredibly important evening. But it's this reminder and this desire that we always we have this pull. We have this desire to be first. The other day I was driving... Um, driving to and from on on I-99, just right across town. And there's a spot where it kind of comes down and they're working on a bridge and it's reduced down to one lane. And I had merged over. It was incredibly busy. I had merged over. And as I had merged over and there were several other vehicles that had merged over, there were others behind us who were pulling out and deciding they were going to go merge further up. And then out of that group, there was another group who then eventually decided they're going to pull over and merge further up. And and uh, so you ended up with like three or four different lines trying to merge in one thing. And I, I was incredibly frustrated with it. Uh, I remember texting my wife. I don't remember exactly what I, what I texted you, but just frustration with what is this, this constant need and this pull to be first? And this, everyone's constantly trying to get ahead, get ahead one more uh, car, one more space, one more thing. And, and the truth is, while I was irritated with everybody else, I was irritated with everybody else for doing it because I was stuck where I could go and I couldn't go up and go around them. And it's it's this constant desire and pull that we all have to be first, to put ourselves first. Um, one of the books that I've read just a number of different times, probably one of my top three or four uh, books that I'll just continue to come back to in my lifetime. But it's by John Owen. And it's called Triumph Over Temptation. I've mentioned it before. John Owen lived in like the 1700s. And he just talks about the, the believer's struggle with indwelling sin and how are we free from sin in Christ, but yet still struggle with the, the pull of the sinful nature, the sinful flesh on a daily basis. And a couple of things that he says in there really hits home to this whole pull and this desire to be first and to put ourselves first. And a couple of things he says. One of the things he says is that we need to view uh, our, our natural tendencies as a traitor lying within the walls who looks for the prime opportunity to betray. In other words, there's that your, your, your natural tendency, your natural drift is away from Christ. It's not to Christ. I was watching a, a video series with the pastors recently and one of the, the speakers was talking about just accountability in our life and, and he said, you don't drift towards holiness. The drift is away from holiness. Your natural drift is away from Holiness. That's why Romans 8, 7, and 8, it says that the sinful nature that it's at war, it's hostile towards God. Our natural pull, our natural drift is away from Christ-likeness. It's away from holiness. And that's what John Owen says. He says, you need to recognize that within you, there's a traitor always waiting, always lurking to betray, to, to really reveal the, your, your baser nature of who you are. And the second thing he says is about that, that traitor within you is he says, to look to wound the sinful self on a daily basis. Look for constant ways to, to say no to yourself, constant ways to deny self the opportunity to be first. Uh, another book that I've recently read is called A, a Resilient Life. And in the resilient, the, Gordon McDonald's, the author, and in A Resilient Life, he talked about sitting down with an individual who was going to invest in his life, kind of a mentor into his life and they met for early morning coffee, and his assumption about this individual, he'd known them, I think, on a casual basis, but his assumption about this individual was that this individual loved coffee, he loved coffee, and so he sat down, the author sat down and ordered a cup of coffee, and when his guest came and sat down next to him, he offered to order him a cup of coffee as well, and his guest said, no, I'll just have a glass of water. And to that, the Gordon MacDonald, the author, he says, do you not like coffee? I can order you something else. He says, no, I love coffee. He says, I absolutely love coffee. He says, but I've found that from time to time, I just need to remind myself who's in control. From time to time, I just need to learn to tell myself no on some of the most basic appetites and the most basic things that I have. And I think that is a lesson in and of itself, the importance of learning to tell ourselves, really more importantly, learning to tell our souls no. That it's okay for you not to be first. It's okay for you to be last. It's okay to deny an appeal or to deny a desire, something that would pull on you, that would pull and lure you towards that effort and that desire to be first. And I really believe that one of the most consistent, one of the greatest steps and one of the most overlooked steps to consistently living out, just these two things that I've given you, and there's several more, but I believe one of the greatest steps and one of the most overlooked steps that we can that we miss that helps us to consistently live out a genuine care for others and a a willingness to be second or to be less than is a willingness to tell ourselves no, to deny ourselves, to deny ourselves being in control, to deny ourselves being in charge. Um, A verse that I memorized years ago um, is Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23. I want you to see it with me. Luke 9.23 on screen says this, it says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. This is Jesus talking. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. In other another translation would say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. But it says, whosoever or whoever, if, if anyone would come after me. And so it's, a, it's an open invitation it's an absolutely open invitation. I've, I've told individuals before when it comes to Christianity, Christianity is both exclusive and inclusive at the same time. That it's inclusive in that it includes everyone. It's open to everyone. Jesus said... Any Whoever wants to come after me can. Whoever wants to be my disciple can come. They can follow me. They can follow in my st- footsteps. They can receive life from me. It's open to everyone. However, it's incredibly exclusive because Jesus says the only way to receive the life that he offers is to follow him. That it's not something else, not someone else, not some other faith, not our own efforts, not our own works, but it's choosing to follow Jesus. And so Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. That it's an open invitation to anyone and everyone to come and to follow me. But then he, he says the first step in following him is a denying of ourself. The first step in following him is a denying of yourself. I think many times it's learning to tell yourself no, and many times, um, for myself included, I've read this verse, I've memorized this verse, and my focus is less on that they must deny themselves. The focus is on take up your cross daily and follow me that I've put the focus on that. And I think we mistakenly in our Christian walk and in our Christian life, we put the focus on taking up our cross and following Jesus. And there certainly is application to that. Whatever you may look at the cross and define that as in what Jesus is talking about, but it's a willingness to follow him on a daily basis. But Jesus said, you can never pick up your cross and follow him the way that he intends for you to pick up your cross and follow him if you don't take the first step. And the first step is you have to deny yourself. And you have to d- deny yourself on a daily basis. In other words, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily battle. Jesus said, I want you to follow me, but you can't follow me and yourself at the same time. He says, I want you to follow me, but you can't put me first and yourself first at the same time. He says, I want you to follow me, but you have to say no to yourself. It's going to be consistent. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging, but it's going to be liberating at the same time. And Jesus said, you must choose to deny yourself. I've already said that we have a, a natural drift towards a self-centered life, and Jesus acknowledges that. Jesus recognizes that your natural drift is to put yourself at the center of your life. And so he recognizes that what you need most is what you must learn to release the most and that is self to him. To put Jesus first in a daily basis and a daily choice and letting him continue to be manifested through our life and that is going to look a number of different ways all throughout your day. You may find yourself at the point where uh, you, you start your morning and your morning's going good and smooth and you had a nice little cup of coffee and a nice little devotion and a nice time of prayer and by the car you already find yourself boiling over and, and upset and it's a reminder that in that moment you have to tell yourself no. There's going to be times throughout the day you have to remind yourself to tell yourself no. When the temptation there is to, to, to look, to, to linger, to. you have to tell yourself no. Jesus says that it's a choosing to daily, moment by moment, opportunity by opportunity, choose to deny yourself to follow him. And we can never follow Jesus the way he intends for us to follow him if we don't tell ourselves no. And that's what Jesus is identifying, and that's what Paul is identifying, is that it's a life of saying no to self and yes to Jesus. Jesus. And there's other evidences that I could give you. Let me just give these to you. I'm, I won't spend as much time on them because I want to come back to Luke nine twenty three, and then we're going to receive communion together in just a second. But some of the other evidences uh, found in Philippians two is that it speaks of a teachable spirit. Uh, I believe evidence of a, of a, the mindset of Christ in us is a there's a teachable spirit that's found in verse twenty two. But a teachable spirit speaks of humility. A teachable spirit speaks of, of a willingness to listen, a willingness to learn, and a willingness to listen, not for your turn to speak, but a willingness to listen, to receive, to receive and to be guided. It's, it, I believe a teachable spirit is, is a willingness to acknowledge when you've been wrong, when you've done something wrong and taking ownership of it. I think a, a fourth thing is a evidence of the mindset of Christ in us is consistency. It 's consistency it 's not just being a fast starter, but it 's being dependable, um, be, being all in, being invested in it we 've already talked about that a bit of just being completely committed to the task that's before you. believe fifth, uh, a, the mindset of Christ is evidenced by uh, a willingness to enrich the lives of others that 's found in verses 28 through 30 that uh, a willingness to enrich the lives of others. one of the questions that i 'll ask from time to time. Um, whenever I've had the, the opportunity just to, to uh, interview individuals and, and looking at whether it's adding someone to the team or a number of things, but when I get references that are given and I call the references, one of the questions that I'll often ask the, the individual who's, who's um, the reference, I'll just ask them a number of questions to get to know the individual. And then one of the questions that I'll typically ask them, I said, will you describe them as a giver or a taker? Do you scri- describe their life as a giver or a taker? Do they look for others to give to them? Or are they always looking to give out, to, be, to let their life be a genuine investment in others? And that, that fits well with, with the very first one, a willingness to, uh, to genuinely care for others. Uh, and then the last one i give you is found in verse 30, is being all in. It's being all in, being totally jumping in and being, being uh, completely in on following Christ, being completely in on letting the mindset of Christ uh, live in us. And, and an example that immediately comes to mind is especially when I see these stairs. For some reason, this morning as I see these stairs, I, I think of when my, um, when my daughters were younger. Um, we would, at times, would go to a swimming pool in the summer and would be at the pool, and when my kids were really young, they would find in the pool usually stairs that looked something like this, and when they were younger, they would sit at the top stair and just let their toes kind of be in the water. And they knew that if, if, I would, if they'd let me, I'd come grab them and pull them all in, but they didn't want to get all in. They just wanted to just get their toes wet. And so then when I was further away from the pool, they'd move the next level down, the next level down. And sometimes it'd be up about mid-waist. And then the moment I would begin to come over to them and invite them to come out like to be all into the pool, they'd back up and be up. And I remember sometimes when they were younger, they spent the entire time at the pool just getting their toes wet. And for them, that was fun and fine. But I'm like, you're missing out on the whole experience. And I look at that and I think about that picture And I think about that picture for many individuals in Christianity and having the mindset of Christ in them. Many times we want just enough to get our feet wet. We just want enough to kind of tickle our toes. But following Christ doesn't mean that and letting the mindset of Christ live in us and, and, and our lives being an investment into the lives of others, it doesn't mean we just get enough just to feel good every now and then. It means there's an all-in investment where you completely jump in and you leave the safety of what you know and you completely follow Christ and not just completely follow Christ, but you completely let your life be spent as an investment in enriching the lives of others and you're completely all-in and following him. And there's many other things that we could look at in Philippians 2, but for time, I want to come back to Luke 9.23 for one last time. Luke 9.23, Jesus said it this way. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And it goes on, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will save it. But he says they have to deny themselves. And I think the question, the place that I would like to end this morning, not so much in what we've looked at in Philippians, but what we've looked at in Luke 9, when Jesus said the requirement to follow him is denying yourself, the question I would end with you for this morning is where does self still reign? Where does self still reign in your life? Is it uh, a momentary thought life? Is it in your attitude? Is it in your desires? Where, is there, where do you give self permission to still reign that that is not, it's keeping you from being completely and fully devoted to following Christ? I think one of the great examples that we have in Scripture reminding us of the all-in-investment and the willingness to say no to ourselves, to deny ourselves and to be completely all in is the example of communion. When you think of the example of communion, the, the picture we see of Jesus just, uh, just hours before the crucifixion as we see Jesus in the garden just the night before, crying out before God and really saying, God, if there's any way for this cup, for the, the weight of what I'm about to face to be lifted from me, then so be it. But in the end, he, he chose to embrace and continue to follow what God the Father had revealed and it's a reminder to you and to me this morning that we are called to follow Jesus that someone once said that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we didn't have to he died on the cross to show us how a willingness to say no to ourselves and to follow Jesus in all things in how we live our lives towards others and how we let Jesus be lived through us So this morning, I I think it would be fitting for us to end by receiving communion.